Hello and welcome back to Resident Expressions, a podcast by Agency Design. I'm Josh, a communications designer here at Agency. We're so glad that you're here joining us in hearing our perspectives and hopefully more about what our team does. This is our second episode of a series we are calling This is Home Truly, where we explore the idea of home. In our last episode, Agency found a home. We spoke about our team's move into a new office that we called our home and how as individuals we responded to the newly found pride, ownership and opportunity that the space provided for us. Our needs as an organisation and as individuals were addressed with our new home. This left us reflecting on the idea of home more broadly and how over the course of 77 years of Singapore's development as a nation, what home means for Singaporeans has slowly changed and it still continues to evolve. The road to better housing in Singapore began at the end of the Japanese occupation in 1945 and it took more concrete shape with the 1958 master plan before finally arriving at the establishment of public housing by the Housing Development Board or HDB in the 1960s. My name is John. I'm currently 68 years old. I was born in a place called uh, Redhill Close. It is a terrace house built by SIT or the Singapore Improvement Trust. John shares a bit more about his experience growing up in the early days of public housing. In my recollection, there must be about 10 rows of these terrace houses, and one of these rows comprises of about 10 units. The moment you exit this built-up area, you enter into what we call the kampong area. There will be the natural bush fencing. In the kampong, you will see the dirt tracks that go into the kampong area. John lived in a terraced house built by the SIT at Redhill Close, with at least eight other family members residing in one home. There was an open space to play and a kampong nearby to explore. Kampong in the Malay language refers to the term for village, varying in material and architectural characteristics. In Singapore, many of these kampongs were made from makeshift wooden homes clustered together in a commune. In the 1940s, the precursor to the HDV, the Singapore Improvement Trust, had embarked on their public housing efforts at a time when food, resources and shelter was lacking, right after the Japanese occupation. They had built a few housing projects that took into consideration Singapore's residents' sanitation, health and safety. However, it was not as widespread and there were many people still living in kampongs. As you walk up the dirt tracks, you will see coconut trees and fruit trees, rambutans and papayas, for example. You will see graves. There are graves in the area and ponds where they rail fish and you will see pigs wallowing in mud pools. There's no such thing as painting the house at all. People use calendar paper and newspaper like wallpaper. And I remember clearly that those people who do cooking, they will do it at the outhouse or an extension of the house. While John was growing up in the 1950s and 60s, the limited housing options often saw Singapore residents living in kampongs or alongside multiple families 
renting rooms in one single house. The Singapore government was trying to help people have a better life because over in those kampong areas and even in Chinatown and many places, there was a lot of cramming. In Chinatown in those days, there were a lot of people in one home. It was a long stretch in with many rooms and many families were staying in one unit. TB was a big problem in those days. TB refers to tuberculosis. When anybody got TB, everybody got TB. This is Jessica. She's 65 years old and she grew up in an SIT-built three-bedroom Tiong Bahru apartment through the 1950s. Her third aunt was the main tenant of her home and Jessica and her parents lived in one of the rooms. The other two rooms were sublet to other tenants. Jessica's aunt had an interesting way of maximizing the cost of rental. The whole place actually was rented from SIT by my third aunt. My aunt stayed at a narrow space under the staircase. So she just had a bed there and at night she would just go there and sleep to maximize the rental from the three bedrooms. Overcrowding was the norm, and it was not uncommon to see more than one family unit living in one apartment. And these houses ran on a manual sewage disposal system, often referred to as the night soil collectors. I still remember they had people doing night soil collection. Even homes that had concrete were also using this system. Modern sanitation was not widely available. It was just a toilet where there was a night soil bucket, which is a shit bucket. Early in the morning, when it was still dark, the night soil collectors would come by in their 36 door Mercedes-Benz, we called it. Because all the doors were at the side, and when you open each up, there was a bucket inside. So they would take clean, fresh, properly sanitized buckets, and the toilet is within the house, but the space that opened up for the bucket was on the outside of the house. They could take the dirty bucket and replace it with a clean, fresh, properly sanitized bucket and carry the dirty one back to the vehicle without disturbing anyone. John and Jessica's experiences reflect the urgent needs of Singaporeans at the time. Sanitation, safety, and protection from disease. All of these serious life-or-death issues. Looking to address the needs of Singaporeans and planning national land use, the master plan was drafted in 1958. This detailed zones of industrial areas, nature reserves and residential clusters. Influenced by the British public housing system, in the early 1960s, the Housing Development Board began building and offering residents of Singapore relocation into newly built public housing. There was excitement in the air. People were excited to go and view the show flats. People then were very excited to go and get a new home, a new place to stay. So clean compared to their old ones. Singaporeans living in kampongs and old housing apartments were being offered relocation in the late 1960s into newly built public housing apartments built by the HDB. The housing landscape in Singapore began to change. As time progressed, more and more residents of Singapore were living in the newly built HDB flats, 
with modern sanitation, electricity and running water. The housing landscape in Singapore began to change. As time progressed, more and more residents of Singapore were living in the newly built HDB flats with modern sanitation, electricity and running water. We were not among the first to move out of the area. A lot of people had already moved out. When it was time, I was still in primary six. Moving into a more concentrated populated area in Queenstown. The residents of Singapore were willing to adopt these changes that were being offered. The change was welcomed and relocation began to be seen as a matter of fact. Where we moved to, there were a lot of flats already. Relocation was just a matter of fact for us in the area. Not long after the first public housing efforts by the HDB, it had begun steering away from the model that the British system of public housing had set. Instead of only offering rental houses to residents, some of these flats were offered up for sale. In the 1960s, Jessica's father was one of these residents who took up ownership of public housing. By the 1970s, most of Singapore's residents were on their way to home ownership. Ownership was something that was attainable for many Singaporeans. In June of 1978, John and Jessica were getting married. By that time when they were looking to build their future together, renting a home was no longer an option for them. Their only thought was to purchase their own home within their means. Before we got married, we felt we needed to buy a place of our own to stay eventually. Our prime consideration was to be near our parents. We got married in June 78. So I applied for housing board flats likely to be in the Queenstown area where we lived. And surprisingly, we received a letter asking if we would be willing to stay in JTC flats instead. So we were quite happy to go and look at what's happening and eventually bought it as our first home. Home ownership had become a norm for young couples looking to build a future together. The thrill of looking for a new home and seeing the potential of a home has not changed since John and Jessica's first purchase. Once fiancéed in 2021, Su Huan was looking to purchase her home. She expressed excitement in the potential of what home ownership brought for her. Yeah, house scouting is very fun and exciting. You get to see all the various spaces that is possible. The same is for um, like location of the house and also the location for the wedding. It's all a very eye-opening experience. With every space you see a potential, it's like researching. Because the research, not just the space itself, but you get to explore each of the neighbourhoods. Where does it look into possible interior designs, the surroundings and the neighbourhood. Now in 2023, for potential homeowners, there's a process to it. A ritual of sorts. Something we have all heard before while growing up. Typically, when people decide to get a VTO, it's almost like a proposal. It's like, oh, who asked? And like people talk about it like a proposal story. Now, home ownership is celebrated in Singapore. 80% of Singapore's residents call HDB flats their home, and a large majority have their home ownership. The public housing initiatives have successfully tackled the housing crisis of the 1940s. It has addressed the very apparent need for shelter, sanitation and safety, now providing for 80% of our residents. 
severe consequences could arise if it was not addressed, and its residents recognised it, playing active roles in the adoption and celebration of the initiatives for public housing. Designing the Singapore public housing system is a huge task. Despite these steps being taken to address the needs of the people in Singapore, careful consideration has to be made for equal opportunity and social cohesion in the multi-ethnic young nation of Singapore. In the 1940s, the end of the Japanese occupation and world war in Southeast Asia saw an influx of migrants in search of economic prospects. And by the 1960s, the people who called themselves Singaporean were from different ethnic and cultural backgrounds. Unfortunately, through the 1960s, these differences had caused race-based civil disturbances that threatened the safety and stability of the young nation. In the building of a new nation and providing for its residents, Singapore's leaders needed to ensure that the multi-ethnic society was provided opportunity regardless of their ethnic background and could foster peace within its population. The ownership of HDB flats provided Singaporeans with an opportunity to own a stake in the nation's growth and stability. Policies surrounding the HDB also encouraged harmony within the multi-ethnic population of Singaporeans. One of these policies is the quota system of ethnic distribution to ensure a proportioned ethnic distribution of residents live and own the apartments in a single public housing building. The need to foster racial harmony within Singapore's residents from varying cultures and backgrounds was crucial in creating and fostering a peaceful and stable nation. Now, Singaporeans of all ethnic backgrounds call HDB flats their home and live for the most part in peace and harmony with their neighbours. Singapore's leaders had been able to provide for the apparent needs of Singaporeans in the 1960s amid the underlying concerns of ethnic harmony. But through that time, and the Housing Development Board's efforts in providing public housing, there has been a shift in behaviour with regards to Singaporeans' interest in public housing. The HDB had reported that Singaporeans did not want to purchase some of these housing units that were already built, and there was an overstock in their supply. A few years ago, we heard in the paper the HDB ended up with an overstock of flats flats that have been built ready but nobody is taking. So in our days, it was the other way around. When the flats are ready, we apply for a flat and we go in for a balloting to determine which unit will be allocated to us. The current model is the HDB will not build until there are people already willing to buy the unit. So it is a build to order. That's why it's called BTO. I build after you have ordered they had to react quickly to the changing behaviours. As time progressed and Singapore has moved from a developing nation into a developed, clean and safe city, our needs have begun to shift. By the time John and Jessica were married in the 1970s, fewer Singaporean residents were lacking in basic necessities of food, sanitation and safety. Instead, they began looking into considerations such as proximity to facilities and potential for investment when they looked for their homes. These considerations had influenced the decisions people made regarding housing and ownership. In the early 2000s, individuals unserved by the housing policies had come into public attention. 
housing prices had been inflating and restrictions on housing ownership and its impacts on social cohesion were being questioned and reassessed. To address these rising concerns, the HDB announced newly implemented eligibility criteria and schemes to include previously underserved groups of Singaporeans. Additionally, the BTO system was introduced. Limits were placed on the number of public housing units an individual could own, and stamp duties and taxes were put in place. The actions and adjustments with nimble policymaking over the years reflects Singapore's leaders' acknowledgement of the changing needs of people and the development of a society. The ability to successfully implement a public housing system requires the clear demonstration of its benefits to the end user, which in this case is the Singaporean resident. At its early beginnings, lack of sanitation, shelter and safety had dire consequences on mortality and safety. It was clear that the residents would stand to benefit from the changes. However, in the current day, various challenges with the public housing system may be a result of changes in the perspectives of people and the way that they perceive these changes. For a majority of young Singaporeans, we live with our parents until later stages of our lives. I think it's different from when our parents were growing up. They leave their house much earlier, but now we stay with our parents for much longer. With lesser years of freedom, I would say, we also have more options now. And it's quite apparent that things have changed. It's no longer about what is very tangible and apparent, like housing, health and food. Yeah, we have moved much further on from there. Now it's something that is more intangible and lies beneath the surface. As Singapore has developed, we have the basic needs met already. Things like food, shelter and safety. Things that we no longer worry about. We have also begun to see people talk about other kinds of needs. And those needs are not something that can easily be defined for everyone. It differs from people to people. I, I can see it in myself as well, when I no longer look at just shelter or food. But I think about the space and how I want to see myself living in my home, which I think would have been a luxury, let's say, decades ago. Yeah, some of these things are symptoms of deeper needs that only when the basic needs are met, then these deeper needs have a chance to surface. Something that is more emotional and leads people to make decisions based on that. Speaking to Suhan, who had a variety of options to purchase various housing, she had chosen to purchase a balanced unit in a HDB building. These perspectives point to a different kind of need that is surfacing. It is no longer just with the basic considerations. These needs no longer remain easily perceived and could manifest in different ways. Not all these responsibilities fall squarely on the shoulders of the Housing Development Board. Stakeholders in Singapore's growth might also benefit from addressing these needs by supporting and nurturing our largest natural resource, the human resource. Singapore's landscape has begun to change. Singaporeans are not experiencing the immediate need for shelter, sanitation and safety. The definition of what defines a need has also begun to diversify. It is no longer restricted to the dire consequences of health and population safety, but it takes its form in the individual's experience. Perhaps through the experience of people whose underlying needs are not served by the public housing system, 
we might be able to define new areas of need and create avenues to design new solutions that don't just address what is seen now as a basic need, food, shelter, and safety. Amid the majority of Singaporeans that have ownership of their homes, there are still Singaporean citizens who do not own their own HDB apartments. And some have found their ways to seek shelter and safety through other means, while meeting their other diverse sets of needs. Our very own communications designer, Darren, is one of these individuals who grew up outside the public housing system. Since he was in primary school, at about seven years old, Darren had been experiencing moving from home to home in rental housing. The longest he had called an apartment his home was a period of five years. Yet, he does not speak of his experience as being one that lacks the basic needs of food and shelter. But Darren's experience sheds light into new, complex areas of need. In our next episode, Darren shares his experience as he uncovers the changing diversity of needs beyond what is considered basic. He speaks to others whose needs were not served by the public housing in Singapore and uncovers what those needs are beyond shelter, sanitation and safety. More to come on our exploration of home on Resonant Expressions. Stay tuned. This episode was written and produced by me, Josh. Special thanks to Jeremy Sai who edited this episode and Annabelle Sue for her inspiration. In this episode, you heard the voices of John and Jessica. You also heard the voice of our very own product manager, Tsu Huan Jin. Thank you for sharing your story with us. We are Agency, located at the Beijing Hyang building along New Bridge Road. You can find out more about what we do and more about us on our website at www.agencydesign.co. Stay tuned and remember to make brave leaps, not blind ones.